0: Good evening. We talked last Wednesday, Pastor Jonathan talked about uh, Jesus casting this unclean spirit out of this man. Had a, probably had a multitude of demons and he, Jesus cast them into the swine. The swine run down the hill. And uh, once again, Jesus is showing that he's no ordinary Man, He's obedient to his God, and God empowers those that are obedient to him. After he had healed the man, he tells them he's wanting to go with Jesus, and we would all have wanted to go, but Jesus has other plans. He says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he, ha- how he has had compassion on you. Jesus, a man with bowels, the scripture talks about, of compassion. When he sees wrongs that's been done to people, where there's uh, infirmities, where there's disease, it moves him in many ways, often, to heal those, and to cleanse lepers and all that. But as we move on in the gospel of Mark, there's going to be an interruption here. Jesus won't be interrupted. A woman that he's going to heal, she's not going to interrupt it. Jesus is going to interrupt the entire uh, dilemma because he wants everyone around them to know that he's did a healing. Verse 20 says, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Those are 10 league cities, Greek cities, all that Jesus had done. Jesus, like the Godhead, is a giver. They love to give to people. He gives his one and only begotten son, the father does. He has that mindset to give. Jesus is the one who said, bless it are those who gives instead of receives. And that was his life. For him and all marvel, they were amazed, they were astonished at what Jesus had done. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, remember, this is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. They go from one side to the other. Probably they've come to the area of Capernaum. It says a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, consider this, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. Jairus was in a elite group of men. He was a, we could say a somebody in the neighborhood, in the city. And those people are one of the hardest ones, I believe to come to Jesus. When, when your money's right, when your finance is right, when your health is right, you're doing well, your job is right, we tend to think we don't need Jesus. And I believe this is the mindset of Jairus. His name means whom God enlightens. And I think this is the way that God could ever touch Jairus, to send an affliction, not even to him, but to someone he loves, his daughter, because Jesus wants to save him. It says, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He was the attendant of the synagogue. He would take the scroll, unroll it, put it in uh, where it should be so if an itinerant rabbi or someone who was teaching in the synagogue would come, it would already be open to where they need to, to take off reading. That was Jairus' job. It says, and begged. He, he begged much. Him earnestly saying, Jesus, my little daughter. Luke tells us it's Jairus's only daughter, which makes it even worse lies at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him. Didn't think about it. He just took off and went. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And, and the word is they continue to throng him as he's walking. There's so many people around I don't like to be in a crowd. When I was younger, I liked to be in a crowd. Now, as you get older, for you young people, if you don't realize it or not, when you get older, you just like to sit and watch the crowds. You don't like to be in the crowds. (laughs) But Jesus is in the crowd with everyone else. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And I'm always amazed at the different perspective the Holy Spirit shows us here. Jairus' daughter is 12 years of age, very young. The perspective, she's just started her life. But this woman has had an issue of blood for 12 years. And for her, those 12 years are slowly passing by, and it's been a long year. It's a matter of perspective. We don't know much about this woman, But church tradition tells us her name was Veronica, the same Veronica that would wipe the face of Jesus with a towel. They say she lived in the area of Caesarea Philippi. And when Jesus healed her, church tradition says she went back because she was a lady of means, she went back to her hometown and made a statue, a bronze statue of Jesus and her As he was healing her. Matter of fact, one of the church fathers, Eusebius, said when he went there in the second century, it was still there. What will we do for sure? What we know for sure is in scripture, Jesus has compassion on this little girl. Verse 26 tells us, and had suffered many things from many physicians, this lady she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Twelve years of hemorrhaging. And if you're sick for any length of time, you know it seems slower as the sickness progresses. You get, you get tired. You get emotional tired, physically tired, and you just become tired. And, and this restriction, this sickness, this illness has kept this lady from going to the temple That's where everybody gathered. She's excluded from the temple now, from the synagogue. She can't be around people. She's completely isolated because of her illness. She is considered ritually unclean. So that's bad. She's she's considered ceremonially unclean. She has been cut off, no doubt, from all of her friends, her husband, her family, gathering, worship, Everything, she's isolated. And somewhere she has, I believe she's heard about this itinerant rabbi. And she decides to take a chance. And she's going through the crowd. Luke says she's pressing through the crowd, trying to get to Jesus. We know in Judaism, it says, if you keep, God says, if you keep my statues, walk in my commandments, I will bless you, but if you don't, I won't bless you." So she had that stigma on her. She must have did something in order for God to put this judgment on her. We're so quick to say that even today, if something, somebody has bad luck, something goes wrong, or why? God must be upset. God must be mad with her. God is taking it out on her. But we have to understand. He's already taken it out on his son, Jesus Christ. He bore the brunt of our punishment. So God doesn't owe us anything. He calls us to himself. They believed this woman was an adulteress, an immoral woman. And that's why God was allowing this to happen. Because no one had caught her in her adultery. The religious world had turned their backs on her. She was defiled and she was unclean. The God that they are telling her about, he's getting her. He's paying her back, she thought. So remember, she's pushing through all of that talk, all of what people have said, and she's still trying to make her way to Jesus. He's going to commend her faith for doing this. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus... So they're talking about all the things he's doing. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Probably the tallit, the inner part, those uh, tassels that were worn on a rabbi uh, shawl. That was where she thought the power were. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Once again, this is a woman that is determined to get to Jesus. She's not only fighting the entire stigma, what about the things she thinks God is saying to her? God doesn't care, is God getting me back? He says, Jesus says, it is finished. If only I may touch his garment, she says, I shall be made well. She did this despite of her uncleanness and with a desire to avoid embarrassing public scene of her ailment. So she's going through the crowd. She touches his garment, and it says immediately, verse 9, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. She knew it right away, but the great king, he knew it also. And as she let go and begins to slip away in the crowd, nobody would have ever known, Jesus says, no, no, no. People need to know about my compassion. People need to know about my mercy. No matter what state a person is in, all these people need to know that I'm here for them. And it should be no surprise to us that Jesus did this. He says in Colossians, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers All things were created through him and for him. As Pastor Jonathan was teaching on the the demoniac, I was thinking of that verse. Before the foundation of the world, they knew Jesus. They knew he was the King of kings, Lord of lords. They knew he had all power in his hand. They knew that he created them. Jesus is infinite. They are finite. So it's no problem for him. Why should it be so difficult For us to think that no matter what we're going through in this life, if we pray and seek the Lord and in His timing, He's going to come through. It says in verse 30, and Jesus immediately, knowing in Himself that power had gone out of Him, virtue, His holiness, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, and I guess I I would think Peter, hurry up and chimed in. But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you? And you say, who touched me? I wonder at this time what Jairus is thinking and doing. His situation is dire. He's in a hurry. Is he pacing back and forth? Does he say, I can't believe this is happening? Remember, he's trying to get Jesus to his daughter's house, to his house as soon as possible. It says, verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. Peter says, everybody's strong in you, Lord. You're pushing against, rubbing against everybody. And you're going to ask who touched me? But Jesus knew a lot of people were pressing up against him, just accidentally bumping him. But Jesus knew someone had touched him and touched him for a clear reason. You know, we can come to church for any kind of reasons. Our friends hang out here. We do events here. But if you're not coming to hear from the Lord, if you're not coming to allow the Lord to pour into our hearts, really it's a waste of time because once again, this story right here, this account right here tells us Many people were bumping against them, And believe me, if not every one of them who bumped against them, just about every one of them had something going on in their life that Jesus could have handled for them. If they'd had faith, if they knew who he was, we have to be careful for that. We have to have a mindset that we can go to Jesus for anything. And he's capable of answering our prayers. But the woman, fearing, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. That's what Jesus wants, the whole truth. He says, the inward parts. In the inward parts, he wants truth, a sincerity. Jesus knew, but he was calling her forward. And she fell down at his feet and began to tell the entire story. I'm sure she felt like, I'm done, I'm unclean, I'm in trouble. And that's why she's trembling. And the crowd is waiting for Jesus to tell her all, to get smart with her, to condemn her. Who do you think you are touching me? Now I will be unclean until evening. Now I have to go wash my clothes and bathe and do all those ceremonial washing because you touched me. But Jesus is not like that. When we come in contact with Jesus, our defilement defilement doesn't defile him. He cleanses us. That's how it works. The lesser is affected by the greater. They couldn't accuse Jesus, remember, of touching a leper, because if they would come back and say, he touched this leper, he's not a leper anymore. They can't accuse Jesus for touching a dead man, because they would always resuscitate and come back to life. Verse 34 tells us, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And we know that's a whole different theology out there about faith. But we have to put faith in its context, and faith is in Jesus Christ. And then even if we have faith, Is still up to Jesus if he wants to do what he wants to do in our behalf. The Bible says, if we have any faith, it's because he's given it to us anyway. That's what Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And then it says, "And and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So even the faith that this woman has, God has put that in seed form into her, to give her the faith to go out and do what she's doing now. He gave her the faith. He says, daughter. Jesus uses the same word that Jairus used of his daughter because he's still there watching. He says, little daughter. This is the only person in all four gospels that Jesus called little daughter, diminutive in front of the entire crowd, everybody's watching, everybody's waiting to see what this rabbi is going to do. He says, you're mine. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't yell at her at all. He says, my daughter, who touched me? And then it says in verse 34, your faith has made you well. Well to save, to keep, to rescue from danger. Or destruction, that's what it means, well, from injury or peril, to save a suffering one from perishing. So that tells me when he says from perishing, he's not only going to uh, heal her, but he's going to give her salvation also. He says, Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Remember, Jairus is listening. He's probably pacing around saying, oh, man, why this happened? I need to get home. And Jesus, knowing all of this, he says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus had to overhear their message, and he ignores it, and he wants Jairus to ignore it too. He says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Really, he says, literally, you must stop fearing and you must continue believing and she shall be made whole. That was a lot for him to do. He had to place his trust in all that he had in Jesus And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. These are hired mourners. So she had had to be dead for a while for them to go get two hired mourners. The poorest Jews had to have two hired mourners in order for it to be a funeral. Whether it was two flute players, they had to have one professional mourner. Her death has been enough, had, been, had happened long enough for them to gather all of this. Remember, they had no phones, they had no emails, they had no Facebook. So when someone died, the only way they knew is when these professional mourners got there and started their thing. And so that would draw the crowd to the house. They knew what was happening. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion? That's a word we don't hear much. My grandmother used to say that word all the time, commotion. Boy, stop making up all that commotion. This is where she got it from, I'm sure. Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. One translation, and this what it means. They laughed him to scorn. They made fun of him for even thinking that, for even saying that. But when he had put them all outside, he took, the, he, he took the, the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said, said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. I'm amazed, didn't have to think about it. Didn't have to give her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. He spoke the word, just like he created the heavens and the earth, with all that power. And she, it says, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. The Holy Spirit wants us to know that. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And said that something should be given to her to eat. Now that's amazing to me. He calls this little girl from the dead. He could have made her brought her back healthy, without an appetite. He could have did that. But when he brings her back, she's hungry. And then he doesn't feed her. He allows his disciples to join in this ministry. He says, okay, give her something to eat. That's the way God works with all of us. He he doesn't want us to sit back and watch him do everything. We can watch him. We can learn of him. But there's a time where we need to be doing things. And that's what I take from this. They give her something to eat. Jesus lets them join in his ministry. This is Jehovah God, the creator of the universe, saying, little lamb, arise. I believe he did this for Jairus and his wife's sake. John 21, 25 tells us, and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. All of these miracles Jesus did in the gospel, and he only has three resuscitations, only three, because they would all die again. And you know, I ask myself, why only three is recorded? But we have to understand where Jesus calls them from, to where he calls them back to. He calls them from light, unimaginable light, back until darkness. He calls them from freedom back into bondage. He calls them from sunny days. Every day is a sunny day. And he calls them back to difficult days. Everybody that's a believer, I tell this to people when they lose loved ones, I've lost loved ones, if they're a believer, and I know how people say, I've said it before, so-and-so's looking down on you. They're smiling. But you've heard me say it before. A person, a believer who goes on to heaven they will never look back here, even if they could. They're, looking, they're really finding out what eyeballs were made for. Just looking and gazing at Jesus and gazing at everything in heaven that hasn't been defiled by sin. That's why I think God puts it in our memory Because I believe, now, this is my opinion. This is what I believe. Can't get mad at me. I believe even the little babies and even the old men who die at a 90 or 105 years of age, in heaven, they're around, everybody is around 32, 30 to 33 years of age. Jesus passed at 33 years of age. Believe it or not, 18 is not the prime of life. 21 is not the prime of life. They said a man is at his peak. At thirty, Jesus knows that. And I believe every human is at that age. So when I see my dad, I won't see him as an old man. I believe he'll be at 30 or something. I won't see if you lost a child, a loved one, when they were small. They won't be small in heaven. They will be at that peak age, but you'll still know them. You'll still know them. Jesus understood. That's why he didn't call many people back to life. All three of these resuscitations have something in common. The widow of Nain, Jesus raised her only son. She had no means of provision without him. She only had hope for her son. Jairus had his only daughter, and Lazarus was the only brother. He was the man of the house. He provided for them. God the Father is the one who understands, the one who gave his only begotten Son. He understands the onlys of life. We're never, even if we go through a loss of a loved one, when we cry, Jesus knows. The Father knows much more what we're going through. That's why he didn't raise many people, I don't think, from the dead. And he will raise them again. John 5, 28, 29 says this Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. You know, when we look at this, And we've lost loved ones. We lost spouses. We've lost children, parents, siblings. People say, I thought he was going to do it. He was going to heal my loved one. Well, he is going to do it. They're gone now and they're resurrected. And if they're in heaven with us, we'll get to see them again. And that's, that's the good part of the story. Let's look at a few verses in in chapter six. Then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astounded, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? the lowly carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. So Jesus had a large family. So they were offended at him. Why were they offended? Were they looking for a some elite person, some well-to-do person, some well-spoken person, or a great orator, that's what's going to happen with the Antichrist. They're not gonna, people should learn from this right here. Jesus is humble, he's lowly. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And this is the sad part right here. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's an astonishing sentence right there. God could do no mighty works. I'll never forget when I was, uh, I used to listen to, Chuck Smith's teaching all the time. When I TIG weld all night long, I'd listen, put my headphones on, listen to Chuck Smith. He would almost put me to sleep, but he said something here about God that he he was so relatable to people. I said this before. I think of Michael Jordan. People are in awe, used to be in awe with them. But Jesus comes and he's relatable. There's no excuse why we shouldn't go up and talk to him, especially when he was walking on the earth. He's relatable no matter what sin we might be caught in or have been caught in. It doesn't surprise Jesus. He's relatable. He doesn't have a high and lofty, uh, I'm better than you attitude. He's down, humble to the earth. He relates. And that's why people would come and talk to him. Now he, But what it says now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I'm thinking this is God. But God will never override our decision when it comes to things. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not gonna override us in any decision we make. If we make the right decision, he will give us the grace to come alone and help us, heal us, whether it's faith or not. But he's not gonna heal anyone that doesn't wanna be. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled. Jesus, God himself marveled. Because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So they've been marveling at Jesus, at his miracles, at his teaching, doing all these things. Jesus marvels one time in the, in the uh, gospels. And it's because of unbelief. We need to be increasing our faith these days. And we know faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We need to be in the word. We need, to be, we need to be like that man says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because Jesus already knows the heart anyway. But he's marked as a fast gospel. He's doing things. He will continue to move. He will continue to go all the way, as we know, to the cross. But right now is the day of salvation. He's calling people to himself. And they need to be coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are once again. Thank you for your kindness. Your word said it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness to bring the woman with the hemorrhage of blood, the issue of blood. That's why she came. She knew you were kind. She knew you were gentle. So I pray, Lord, that people will come to you because you're the only one that can change a life and you will do it with a smile on your face and you won't be judgmental about it. May we continue to have that kind of attitude towards sinners, toward believers when they fall. May we be there to help them back up and tell them that Jesus loves them and continue to walk. And I ask all of of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.